Who what about you? are these people? Who are these? No. <laughs> Do you know up. these people? They see in who? I don't know. I don't know who these people are. I just, you know, I'm just thinking those are the people that watch like these. I see. Are they wearing like um, tracksuits, like you know, like pajama tracksuits? You know, like the and they're on their phones the entire time. They're yeah, on their yeah, yeah, time. yeah. But they, but they still love it. Yeah, <laughs> oh my lord. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Dan and Joe Film Show. Hope you're well and staying safe wherever you are. It's snowing here in Wales as we are recording this. Lovely winter wonderland. It's a bit overdue, but we do love a good bit of snow here at the Dan and Joe Film Show. And like always, I'm joined by my partner in crime. He's somebody that I definitely take a drug and go back in time to visit. It's Joe Richard. <laughs> Oh, hey, mate. I feel like going ho, 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 because it's so snowy outside. It's a winter wonderland out there today. And my nephew actually woke up today thinking it was Christmas again because it was so snowy because they live up in the valley. So obviously they've got a lot of snow and we've got a little bit in Cardiff. But yeah, they thought he thought it was Christmas again today. Bless him. That is so cute. It's so cute. But how, how's the snow with you? Is it is it quite deep or is it or have you just got a little kind of topping of it like like we have in Cardiff? Yeah, like much of my life, it's a bit underwhelming. Um, <laughs> it's not as thick as I would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, it's okay. It's it is melting as we speak. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we have this cat that comes around our house. His name's Gizimo, and he's named after the Gizmo from um, you know Gremlins. And we just see, my mum woke up this morning and she could just see this black figure walking towards the house uh, with his little paws. And I think, uh, I think for animals, it's so weird, isn't it? Because they're just not used to it. We yeah. haven't had snow in, in like three years, isn't it? I remember the last time we had snow, I drove to meet you at the cinema. Yes, yes. And I shouldn't have. It was really bad conditions. Yeah, yeah. I, we met up, and I don't know what we watched. But I drove all the way to Cardiff quite irresponsibly to see you. <laughs> and then I got out the screen and, and there was like text messages, text messages, text messages. Yeah. People like, where are you? The roads are completely blocked. And I was like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, that was the beast from the east, I think they called it, didn't they? And I'll tell you what we went to watch because what you, Dan, ever has ever committed to the joys of cinema. I was being sent home from work because the snow was that bad. They were like, we're just going to have to close down the office. And even though I was being sent back from work, you were like, I'm coming in to watch a movie. So I was like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. And I think I'd just come back from Iceland as well, to be fair, for the, um, for the first time I went. So I think we hadn't seen each other in a while. And we actually went to see Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence in 4DX. Oh, yes. Remember? It and it was it? the 4DX. worst 4DX experience yeah. we've ever had. I, it... remember, I remember the best 4DX effect was when she was walking down the stairs and our chairs <laughs> were like this, walking down the stairs. <laughs> and I just was just like, oh no, is this what 4DX is going to be like? And uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, the film was, good. you know, there was nothing to it anyway, really. And I've sort of forgotten about it. But yeah, for 4DX, it was strange. And yeah, I remember getting out of there and you just saying, I, I, I gotta get back, I gotta get back because you have to drive, what, like 20 minutes, half an hour in the car yeah, to get yeah. back home. So, um, yeah, so that was the very, yeah, the very last time I remember it snowing really heavily. But luckily, 
we don't have it as that as bad at this time. No. Thank goodness, eh? Yeah. Thank, Thank goodness. The cinemas aren't open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, straight there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's lovely. It's lovely for the little kids as well, definitely. And what a show we've got for you today. It's a really exciting show. We're thrilled to have on uh, directors of Synchronic, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who we'll be chatting to a little bit later in the show. Very, very exciting to talk to them, and especially of their film that is due to come out January 29th, so keep that in your diaries on VOD, so you can watch it at home safe and sound. Before we do that, should we get to some news now, Joe? I'm getting my papers ready. I'm like on BBC News. (laughs) BBC News at six o'clock. This is our only chance. These are dangerous times. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. Provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. There was a war. And they're the last ones standing. I keep reaching for greatness because I'm built from it. Who bows to who? Nobody gonna stop for me. Kong bows to no one. So the big story this week, and this is something that's you know been released very, very recently online, is the trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong, which is due to be released 26th of March in the US. However, it's not been given a UK release date yet. What will happen to it? Will it go on PVOD? Will it go to cinemas? We don't know, but hopefully they will know soon. So the trailer's been released, Joe. Are you excited for this? Because I was mixed on the Godzilla film from two years ago now. Yeah, yeah. That's the name, right. King yeah. of the Monsters, was it? Something yeah. like that? I don't know. And the Kong Island one, I didn't really like either. So I don't know whether I'm going to like this that much. But are you excited for this one? I am excited. And the trailer looks really good. I think the the one thing that has been consistent across the board is the imagery of these movies. I think the the monster verse, as they're calling it, Warner Brothers have been great in getting these 
really unique directors with great visual styles um, to come on board. And each film has had a distinctive visual style, at least. I'm with you completely. I love the kind of remake of Godzilla, which was released, God knows, 2014, 13, something like that. The Gareth Edwards one. And I really, really enjoyed that. And again, it was it, that for me ticked all the boxes. And that's that's the best one of them so far, because that had the really distinctive visual style. And I still remember today that scene where they kind of jump off the airplane and they fall in through the fog and there's all that red smoke and the post set. Oh, just absolutely brilliant. Um, but since then, the quality in terms of the storytelling, I think, has really kind of been lowered. I think Kong Skull Island, mm, good idea, kind of doing a Vietnam War movie in the you know with a giant monster, good concept, but poorly handled. And I remember Tom just thinking Tom Hiddleston was just poorly miscast in that movie. And then the last Godzilla film, yeah, just really poor. I just thought it was all over the place, a real mess. It was fun as it is to see these monsters fighting each other really disappointing so I've got high hopes for this one and hopefully it brings it full circle hopefully we don't have a Batman v Superman situation it's got a great cast some you know returning faces from the other films and I'm I'm excited for it but the question as you said is when will we see it and I know our good friend David Osgar from Well Good Movies he's been very keen to get a sort of update from these studios you know in the UK based within the UK as to who is going to be picking this up and what the plan of action for the release is going to be because March is getting very close now and all signs are pointing to lockdown being in place here until after April, like May, maybe we're in lockdown till. So what do you think? Do you think Warner Brothers is just going to maybe hang fire for a little bit and then see if maybe cinemas open back up April, May, and then maybe keep it for then? Or do you think we're going to see a straight to video release for it? I think they will. I think they will hang fire because I think despite the HBO Max deal that angered a lot of people, I do think Warner Brothers for a particular couple of these films that they're releasing this year, I think they realise that it needs to be seen on the big screen. Like, I do not want to watch this at home. It was hard enough in the cinema as it is. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it in the cinema, so I'm definitely not going to enjoy it at home. And they, they are big budget creature features. That's the whole point. You go with your friends, you get your popcorn, you know, you have a good time. And this does look like a lot better than the other two. And it looks like a, lo a lot of fun. Yeah, I think they will hold fire. And like you said, we just don't know at this point. It's so unpredictable. Things are changing all the time. To think a month ago, we didn't even think we were going to be in lockdown at this point. Everything's changing. I I think they will push it back. Same with Wonder Woman. I think they do treasure the cinema experience. And I think despite Wonder Woman not doing very well at the box office, because it came at a time when, you know, cinemas were closing, a lot of them were closing. The movie still did relatively well considering that. So I think they will. Um, I definitely think so. I don't think it's something like Disney Plus, which probably may go for like a PVOD route. I think they'll push this back. Are we really going to say right now that we're going to be in lockdown end of March? And if that's the case, Oh, just like, you know, please help us because I you'll can't be deal with furious, this. Well, you'll be absolutely furious if we're still here March, April and still in lockdown with no cinemas. But yeah, I, I agree. I think hopefully they will hang fire and I'm willing to wait. Look, you know, I, if, if it, as long as they give a distinct, clear message that, look, you know, this is when we're aiming for a UK release and it's going to be theatrical. I think that will give people a reason to be hopeful and people a reason to kind of hang fire. I think the biggest risk here, and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about this, 
is that a lot of people are refusing to wait. There's, there's such an enthusiasm yeah. about this movie that I think as soon as it goes online, you run that risk then of people pirating it and finding it on illegal websites. And I think uh, a lot of people have kind of said on Twitter, at this point, they don't care anymore. They will literally yeah. watch it as soon as they are able to watch it. So I think Warner Brothers have to be very careful here. And they, I think they have to bear that in mind as well, that they're going to potentially lose out on money if they leave that gap between releasing it in America on HBO Max and a month maybe six weeks later before releasing it in any format or, or in the UK. So it's a tough one that they've got to kind of consider, but I think any news would be good news at this point. Absolutely, yeah, fingers crossed. And please, please hope, fingers crossed, we're not on lockdown for another two months. Because <laughs> I'll be furious! Fuming! <laughs> Fuming! I'll be fuming! Um, should we move on to now some reviews and a real corker to start off today's show? This is a, a brand new film coming to Netflix. It's called Sightless. And this was released uh, back in September in America, back in the uh, Dances with Films Festival. Uh, it's made its way in the festival circuit, you see, because it's quality. Um, and this is directed by Cooper Carl. It's his directorial debut. Um, and it stars Madeline Pesch, who, if you don't know, was in Riverdale, but I've never watched that. So. Everyone's like, oh, Madeline Pish. Do you not know who she is? And I go, nope. Sorry, all the kids, all the cool kids. All the kids. It's like when um, it's like when Game of Thrones was big and everyone, everyone was like, oh, you don't know her from Game of Thrones? You don't know her from Game of Thrones? I was like, no, I don't watch Game of Thrones, do I? So, you know, be if fair. she's not other stuff, of course, but I don't watch that show. You so. should be ashamed of yourself in that yeah, respect, I think. This is a story of Ellen, played by Madeline Pesh. Uh, she is a former violinist. She's a very, very classically trained violin player and very famous. Uh, she ends up uh, getting involved in an incident where somebody sprays some sort of kind of poison in her eye. She becomes completely blind. She moves herself into um, an apartment in the city where her um, brother hires kind of a, a nanny of sorts, a nurse to take care of her. A very handsome male nurse, can I just say, you know, so uh, woohoo, look out for some romance between the two. He starts to help her readjust to everyday life, try and, you know, get used to her surroundings. Her perception is going very blurred. She's seeing things that aren't there. She hears noises in the night. What could be going on? Does anyone really care? Here's a clip. You hungry? Shh. Get in here. What kind of car? time why'd it stop some guys getting in same time every other day looking for patterns where there are none it is a pattern i get here for my job as he takes off for his hey you've got to take it easy on yourself okay the thing that saves you isn't out there or at the bottom of a cocktail glass, it's pure. Uh, Your eyes won't ever be what they were, but once the rest of you heals, you won't need them to. And that was a clip there from Sightless, which is on Netflix now, and I can just see now who this film is made for. This is made for that 16 year old girl and her friends. They're having a Zoom sleepover. They don't know what to watch. 
and they're like, crack on Netflix, Stacey. And they're like, all right, Joanne, it's got Netflix. And then they'll watch it and they'll go, oh my gosh, it was so good. It was so good. Like, if you look at the reviews for this film, no critics have reviewed this film. It's all just um, girls, you know, they're 16, 17 years old, who was like, five star, twists and turns all around, you know, it's amazing. Um, and fair enough. And I definitely think this is a film for audiences. I think this is 100% perfect for Netflix. I don't think this is a film for critics. Saying that, this film for me, I didn't hate. It's kind of in two halves for me. The first half is very slow. It's very dull. It takes a good time to get into. You have a lot of questions. There are a lot of plot holes. You, you don't really know what's going on. And I watch this with my family because we love these kind of psychological thrillers where not everything is it seems. And literally 45 minutes in, my mum and my dad were like, oh, this is rubbish. Like, can we go now, please? Which they never do. They're normally really good. At, they've never done that for a film. And I was like, stay, stay. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And the second act kind of kicks in and things do get much, much better. There is a huge twist in the film that we cannot spoil. And I was a bit perplexed by, I was a bit um, confused by, and had me thinking definitely afterwards. I still think there are plenty of plot holes in here, so big you'll probably fall through them. I do think Madeline Pesh is uh, decent in, her, in the lead role. I think she tries her best with this. It is an interesting concept, and I think visually there's some really interesting ideas here. I just don't think they're fleshed out enough. I don't think they're executed well enough. Um, there's a lack of character development as well. We don't really know much about her as a person before the event. It's more just about her now and she's trying to cope with her blindness. And also I just found like when the reveal in twist is kind of um, you know shown in the film, I just felt like that bit was very rushed and they were trying to put a lot of exposition in to explain everything. But there were still points where I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense uh, if you get what I mean. So I think for an everyday Netflix viewer, I think you'll enjoy this. It has its moments. The second half is way better than the first. I think they, they tried for something really ambitious here. I think with a bigger budget and a better cast, this could have been much much better it does feel a little cheap at times i thought this is okay it's free if you've got netflix so stacy you know um jermaine all your, <laughs> all your friends you know if you're having a sleepover you'll love it you'll love it have some popcorn you know have fun who what about you? are these people who are these don't people? know <laughs> do you <laughs> know these people <laughs> stacy and who I don't know. I don't know who these people are. I just, you know, I'm just thinking those are the people that watch like these. I see. Are they wearing like um, tracksuits, like you know, like pajama tracksuits? You know, like the they're on their ones. phones the entire time. They're yeah, on their yeah, 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 yeah. But they, but they still love it. Yeah, <laughs> oh my lord! Right. See, now this is interesting because I think me and you had different experiences. I thought that actually the first half was better than the second half. And I think there is some hope of invention at the beginning of the film, which I really admired. There's a moment in, at the beginning of the film, well, you know, towards the beginning of the film, where her handsome male nurse, he brings her a bird and it's, it's in a cage and, it's, and there's this whole backstory that his mum used to work, uh, make uh, bird cages. And you meet this bird, it's green. And then he, there's, there's this whole reveal. Well, actually, it's, it's baby blue. And the colour of the bird changes entirely. And it's that moment where I thought, OK, this could be quite good. This could be quite interesting. This is going to play on perception and how, you know, she's blind. And, you, and then, obviously, we begin to meet all these different pe people. And the question is, is what she thinks is going on actually going on because she's blind and is her perception being played with and toyed with? So I really liked the first half and I wish it played on that whole idea a lot more because 
like you said, the kind of twist is revealed halfway through, a twist which I saw come in a mile off, to, to be perfectly honest. I'm not sure about you, but I kind of knew the second I was introduced to a particular character, I was like, okay, this is where this film is going. And it's a shame, really, because I do think the overall film any kind of hints of originality are squandered for like a final half, which is just totally generic and totally becomes about, you know, a woman kind of a woman in distress running around corridors being chased by a madman. And I think we've seen all that before. And there are elements of, to me here, uh, Lee Wanell's Invisible Woman as well. You know, let's not forget that that was released a year ago. And that is dealing in a way with similar themes, gaslighting and and men gaslighting women and telling them how they feel and what's going on and, and how they should feel about certain situations. And, you know, women not being believed about their experiences. And I think this film is touching on things like that, but doesn't do it in as good a way at all. It's it's sort of a a B-Tech invisible man, if you like. So I think the concept is there. And Cooper Carl, I think, if he'd pushed some of his ideas, because I think he this is based off a short film he made three years ago as well. So I'd be interested to see how the short film compares. There are definitely some original ideas in here. And I think if he'd stuck to those original ideas and maybe kind of pushed those through as opposed to kind of relying on a very generic ending, then the film itself could have been quite unique, I think. But as it stands, like you said, it will play perfectly to a, a audience and I mean, I haven't read the reviews of, of fans and stuff, but if you're saying they're overwhelmingly positive, then that's great. I'm sure Cooper Carl is great. I've seen that he's on Letterboxd. He gave his own film a five-star rating. I should hope so too. <laughs> Imagine two and a half could have done better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, hopefully he, he seems like a man with a filmmaker with ideas and maybe we'll see more of those ideas shine brighter through maybe some of his uh, you know, future projects. But as it stands, I was kind of bored. I guess what was going to happen pretty early on. And it's just a shame that he didn't kind of stick to those really interesting ideas lined up in the first kind of 20 minutes. I love when Cooper Carl did post like, oh, thank everybody for loving the film. There was one guy underneath who was like, I thought it was Tosh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, what, you know, what a way to break a guy's spirit. You know? what, what a brave man, though. Like yeah. literally going on Letterboxd, giving yourself a five-star review and being like, thanks, everybody. Like, where's all the reviews on Letterboxd are kind of mixed to like meet, you know, like good at best, you know, I, I think like three star kind of maximum, I think I've seen for it. Brave guy, Cooper Carl, brave guy. Absolutely. Well, another brave guy is Dave Franco, because it's at his directorial debut in a very um, tense ridden, very uh, kind of chilling debut here called The Rental. Would you like to explain this or... Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So as you said, uh, written and directed by Dave Franco, James Franco's baby brother, who I've got to say, I've been very impressed with Dave Franco. I've seen him, you know, in front of the screen in many things. Obviously, he was in uh, The Disaster Artist and, you know, and he was great in that. But there's a show on Netflix as well called Easy and he appears in that. I think he wrote the episodes in that as well, funnily enough. And, And He's, he's just a very talented guy. So I was very interested to see this film. And obviously you you kind of recommended this for the show. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you did. So yeah, Dave Frank, Franco's uh, directorial debut stars Dan Stevens, who we're getting a lot of already in 2021. Yeah, I don't think I can take <laughs> any more, Dan. Please yeah, stop. Yeah. 
Take a bit of a breather, Dan, okay? Take a bit yeah. of a break. Alison Bree, uh, Sheila Vand, and Jeremy Allen White. They are the kind of four central characters here. Two sets of couples. Dan Stevens plays Charlie. Jeremy Allen White plays Josh. They're brothers. Um, the two brothers and their partners basically rent a very lovely home by the coast for the weekend. There seems to be underlying tensions, though. We start to hear snippets of maybe some history there. We know that uh, Jeremy has maybe had some problem in the past with uh, the law. We get hints that there's a, a sort of budding relationship between some of the characters, uh, a, a sort of fluttering uh, romance, a bit of flanter, a bit of flirtation between Dan Stevens, Charlie, and his brother's partner partner Amina. The film builds and builds to a moment and after that moment Sheila finds a camera in the shower. The film suddenly takes a very dark turn and they realize not all may be as it seems at this lovely rental. Here's a clip. I just came to say we'll be outside. I won't say anymore you had nothing to do with this. I'm already guilty. Who you are, you didn't do anything. I didn't call the police. If we get caught, I'm an accomplice to murder, just like you and Mina. We can say you weren't even here. Just go. Go do what you need to do so we can get out of here. soon, I promise. This will never be over. Okay, so that was a clip there from The Rental. I like this one a lot. I admire the fact, again, um, we're going to be talking about Synchronic shortly, but this is a slow build. And I, I really admired that this was a slow build. Rather than peak early with the type, types of films like this, I'm, there must be that urge to kind of have a masked figure, just lots of shots of a masked figure kind of hiding in the woods or hiding like by a window um, to creep people out. Whereas this takes time to build the tension all the way through to the point really that it's only the kind of final 20 minutes where things start to really kick off. What Franco does, he gives us the opportunity to get to know the characters, to get to hate them, because I've got to say, I did not like any of the characters really in this film, maybe one person excluded. But yeah, the majority of the characters in this film are awful people. So it was kind of that weird thing of like, I kind of wanted to see bad stuff happen to them. It builds on the tension. It builds on the kind of relationships between the characters. And you sort of know where it's going to go. And, and when it does go there, you're kind of shocked anyway. Towards the end of the film, there is that whole killer thing going on a mass madman and the fact that he waits to the last 20 minutes to kind of introduce that aspect without giving too much away is is really commendable you know this isn't michael myers this isn't jason vu you know there's not any of this 
in, in the woods kind of thing, you know? Um, it's a really sturdy, really solid thriller. One of those films which you're not sure how to categorize it. Is there a thriller? Is it a horror? But one thing's for sure, it definitely left me with the creeps. Definitely worth sticking around for the end credits, for the final kind of shot of the film, because it, it is terrifying. It's nothing groundbreaking. I've got to admit that. I don't think it's groundbreaking, but it is a very solid first kind of feature for Dave Franco. And I'm very excited to see where he goes in the future. Um, I think it's tense. It's eerie. It's creepy. Had me on the edge of my seat. And it's for free on Amazon Prime now. If you've got the subscription, it's well worth it. I sat down and watched it with Hannah. She really, really liked it as well. And she, she can be difficult to please with films sometimes. But I think it is something a bit different. And it definitely does a great job of building that tension. What did you think, Dan? I agree. I had a lovely time watching this Friday night. I really did. I was in a darkened room. I shut the door. Something went bump in the night. It's probably just my indigestion. But um, I very much enjoyed this. And you're totally right. I think the issue is it's being marketed as a slasher film. Um, and I watched the trailer beforehand and I was like, oh, okay. And I, I kind of wasn't that excited for it because I was like, oh, it looks like your everyday, you know, slasher film. And that's why a lot of people watching it and not liking it because they're not getting what they want. For me, I was unexpectedly loved the film because of it. There's two halves of the film. It's a really engrossing drama at the centre of it about two couples that are not happy, have got um, secrets, lies, they're deceptive, they're not who they say they are, especially Dan Stevens, who's horrible in this, but I thought he was great. <laughs> um, and you're right, you don't like these characters, and, and, and but that's okay, because they're so well developed and they're so well fleshed out. You know, you can watch a film with characters you hate, but it's when they're poorly developed, that's when the issues rise for me. So right at the centre, you've got this really engrossing drama that lasts about at least 50 minutes to an hour in. And then that kind of the revelation happens. They find these cameras, you know, in the, in the showers. Uh, and then the owner comes back and something happens there. And the tension builds and builds and builds. And you just think, how are they going to go at this situation? And again, they just say the last 20 minutes, what most horror films do for 90 minutes, this film manages to do effortlessly in 20 minutes which is build that chilling, that tension, and then just kind of pace it so effortlessly. When you get to the last 20 minutes, you can barely breathe because it's just, it's so uh, gritty and it's uh, creepy and full of atmosphere. It's just building that mood and atmosphere all the way through to the last 20 minutes, which I loved. And I felt like I did get all those slasher kills that we normally see, um, but just done again, a lot quicker, paced better, still very gory, 100%, still very violent and brutal at times. Um, it, but it does it in short, sharp bursts, which I, I loved. We've all seen Friday the 13th. We've all seen all 10 of them. Uh, once you've seen somebody get killed with a, a machete, you've seen it get killed all the time. This film, I thought, was just really kind of inventing that, um, not in a groundbreaking way. Like I said, you've seen this film before. You've seen uh, two couples go away to like a, you know, a getaway cabin you know, in the woods. You've seen this before. But I felt like within that genre, it is making steps. It is kind of showing us different sides. And again, the pacing for me was brilliant. And I, I can't wait to see what Dave Franco does next. I think the cinematography, some of the angles, some of the shots I found really interesting, very unnerving and very much kind of um, voyeuristic. You felt like you were watching them in the shower, in that, you know, there's a lot of kind of shots from outside the house where he's peering into the window. Yeah, I thought it was really effective, little chiller. And I think with the right audience, they're going to enjoy this. And I'm glad that this is on Amazon Prime for free perfect there I wouldn't have really wanted to see this in the cinema I was quite happy watching it at home in a darkened room so yeah do check it out Dan Stevens is in it Alison Brie who we love we love Alison Brie um, and yeah brilliant Dave Franco so I uh, can't wait to see what else you do in the future
they say we see everything once in this gig? Pretty sure we've never seen this. I think they need help. It's inoperable and never start your operation. What's going on with him? I want to know that there's meaning in the things I do. Ticking down. The time is an illusion. We now have the pleasure of being joined by directors of Synchronic, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Thank you so much for joining us both. How are you both? Well, thank you for having us. It's our pleasure and congratulations on the film. We absolutely loved it to bits and we know it's getting great reviews over in the US. Uh, for those who haven't been able to see the film here in the UK and other parts of the world, can you tell us, just try and describe the film? I know there's a lot of spoilers, but can you just tell us a bit about the story behind the film? Yeah, yeah. It, the film follows two paramedics played by uh, Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie in New Orleans, who are best friends for a really long time for their entire lives, that uh, the, their, their relationship and their, their personal lives are kind of torn apart because they, they stumble on these different first responder scenes as paramedics that are all connected by a mysterious drug called Synchronic. Uh, should I stop there? Is that, is that the spot stop? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably best because it is definitely oh. one of those films where I think the, the less you know going in, the better. But over the course of your career, you, the both of you have, have become known as filmmakers, very exciting filmmakers, uh, filmmakers who are kind of pushing the boundaries of genre and the expectations you might have going into like a horror film or, or a sci-fi film. Is pushing the boundaries of genre and kind of kind of push printing original ideas to old concepts really important to the both of you when you take on a project? Yeah, yeah. We we tend to, if, if between the two of us, someone comes up with an idea that they feel, the other person feels is too familiar, that's usually just a mutual agreement then to, to let it go. And also probably a, another big part of it is that in making independent films, you don't typically have the money to do the really neat big spectacle stuff that people have done before. In fact, you don't have money to do spectacle stuff at all typically. But what you do have, as you have license to use ingenuity and to try to do new things, to try to present ideas that maybe you've never quite seen before, which would be a lot harder to push through on something that's a much bigger investment for someone because it's new. It's not tried and true. It hasn't been tested. And, and also the other thing too is, is that people who delight in things like independent films 
for the most part, it seems what we, what we and they, the same thing I suppose, want is if you're going to work in that space, you want something weird. You just want it to be unique. You want it to feel personal and raw and you want something new brought to you because that's the only space where you can do it and where you can get it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not even an opportunity to be weird. It's a mandate to be weird you, you because because a really conventional independent film oh man if independent films don't make money now get ready if you make one that's really conventional because nobody like nobody's going nobody's lining up for that like oh yeah here it is again you know they are lining up for it with really big budget stuff and that's you know has different explanations in terms of like comfort and like can your kids digest it and is it something we can all agree upon as a family and you know you get the idea which by the way, not even knocking it. I love big budget spectacle stuff. Like we will be making big budget spectacle stuff for sure. But the mandate to be weird doesn't exist quite as much. It's Absolutely. actually riskier to not be weird in independent film. <laughs> Whereas in large budget stuff, it's, it's risky to be weird. You both took leading roles in your last film, The Endless. Was there ever talk of you guys taking the lead roles again with Synchronic? And did you always picture Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dorn in, in the lead roles? Yeah, there was never any roles for us in, in Synchronic at all. Just wouldn't even be possible. But in terms of Jamie and Anthony, whether we always saw them, it's weird because we really haven't written that many things where it's like, oh, we just wrote it with like this one person in mind. But in, in the case of in the case of Synchronic, it was definitely, I mean, for one thing, it was written in 2015. Yeah, yeah, really, really exciting. I don't even know if the fall existed, but we knew who Jamie Dornan was from, from the fall. And I don't know what year that came out, but I'm not even sure it was out at that point. Could have been, but we didn't know, but we didn't know who Jamie Dornan was in 2015. So that kind of gives you your answer, but, but it's pretty wild to have things transpire that it's like, oh, we somehow actually ended up with access to these people to get the scripts to them because they ended up being the perfect people for the role. And those were the first two people that we had ever, who were, who were names that people knew and that like we could get them to read the script. <laughs> and they ended up being perfect for the roles, luckily, but it's just weird how life works out like that. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier on that you will be directing big budget kind of spectacle stuff. And I'm assuming that could be potentially referring to Moon Knight, uh, the new Marvel series, uh, which the pair of you have been attached to direct several episodes uh, coming up. I'm sure you've both been sworn to secrecy about the project, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about it and what we can expect from it? Oh, actually, that comment was just referring to the fact that we do have ambitions to, to do things that aren't just just small independent films. We, we, and it's actually not because of any knock on independent films because we have, obviously it's our entire career. It's just like, when you have to fight for every single audience member, it's, it's just a hard, it's, it, it wears on you, you know, as a, as a human where you're just like, you almost have to go out into the street and be like, hey, you go see the movie. You know, it's very <laughs> liminal advertising, you know? But no, we, uh, you know, as I'm sure you probably assume, we can't talk about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine. Well, thank you so much both for uh, doing this with us. Synchronic is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's released January 29th on all digital platforms across the UK. So please go and check it out. Justin, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. All the best with the film and take care. Thanks, Ram. Thank you. And that was our interview there with directors of Synchronic, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. What a lovely pair of chaps. Very nice to talk to them. Obviously, without spoiling too much, we did really love the film. So it was great to kind of hear their, you know, their process of making the movie. Yeah, and they're such talented filmmakers and they've got such a reputation just within the film community. Obviously, with films like Spring and uh, The Endless, they've 
both been very well received amongst film fans. But let's actually talk about the film itself now and what we thought about it. As we've said many times, it's called Synchronic. It stars Anthony Mackie, best known probably as Falcon from the MCU, and Jamie Dornan, who's probably best known as Mr. Grey from the Fifty Shades films. And they both play uh, two New Orleans paramedics whose lives are ripped apart after they encounter a series of horrific deaths uh, linked to a designer drug called Synchronic. Basically, they're, they're good friends. They've obviously been working with each other for years and years and years now. Very close, almost like brothers. At the beginning of the film, we see them go into all these different emergencies where people are dying or are dead and in strange, strange circumstances. And it seems to be tied to this drug called Synchronic. Chronic. And when um, Jamie Dornan's daughter goes missing, Anthony Mackie decides to investigate further what could be the cause of this and what Synchronic actually does. He had nothing about this uh, previously, didn't know much about it at all other than the word of mouth on Twitter. Loads of people on Twitter have been saying how great this film is. It was released in the US uh, in December, so a lot of American audiences have really taken to this. Critically, it's done really well, and again, I think it comes back down to really the directors, this style, and how exciting they are. And that style is really distinctive from the get-go. The film opens with that distinctive style. We've come to expect from the directors with sort of eerie sequence of this couple taking this drug synchronic and experiencing what we can only assume in the like these beautiful but like also terrifying visuals now we're not really sure what's going on is this a trip or what but you know they seem to have very real life effects on these people who are taking the drug uh, the drug then we introduce the central characters played by Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan and they go to all these different scenes these crime scenes of these people who have died in these mysterious circumstances and it's weird in these sequences it's almost kind of plays out like David Finch's Seven like they're really dark really gritty and I I remember just sitting there and thinking where is this film going like I I just had no idea what was going on and that's kind of uh, that was kind of furthered by this really distinctive editing style that this film has. There's all these jump cut sequences of Anthony Mackie's character being sat in a position in the daylight and then suddenly cut into nighttime in that exact same position. And you really feel like this displacement of Anthony Mackie's character, which as the film progresses, you sort of understand the style and the reasoning behind this editing. And Anthony Mackie plays a very interesting character. He's a character who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness which not only adds that layer to his character but also serves the plot as well because the fact that he's got this particular illness comes into play as to the effect that this drug has on him um, when he does start to take it uh, further on in the film. So the first act of the film, very confused, not sure how I felt about it, whether I liked it or didn't like it. And then we start to find out what Synchronic is, both in terms of the drug itself and what the film actually is. And when you start to realise what the film is and you get into the main kind of bulk of the story of it, I just think it is absolutely terrific. The whole tone shifts from this kind of Fincher thriller horror kind of vibe to a sci-fi story. And it's really tough without giving much away, but I will say there's an element of 
time travel in there. And it's handled in a way quite unlike, I think, we've seen in quite some time. It's a really brainy idea about, behind this kind of sci-fi aspect to it. Usually we're used to DeLoreans and time machines, but this sort of takes a different approach to it and one which I think makes the film feel very original, even though it is dealing with those kind of sci-fi tropes, something the filmmakers are really good at doing um, anyway. And I think not only have you got this original idea and this great story then at the, at the centre of it about Anthony Mackie trying to find his best friend's daughter, and go into great lengths to do that. But the performances themselves, I really admired. Jamie Dornan, he's good, maybe a bit underused, but Anthony Mackie is the one who shines through here. And I've got to say, he was in another film on Netflix, which we were actually going to talk about today, called Outside the Wire. And between this and that, I think he is just a superstar. I mean, I know he's done lots and lots of films previously, not just in the MCU, but for a lot of people, the MCU is what they know him from. And obviously in the MCU, he does play a sort of minor role compared to the, the bigger superheroes of all, you know, he is due to take over the mantle from Captain America. Um, so I think his performance is just got that star quality. He's so charismatic and I was really taken with his performance here and I can't wait to see if anything, what he does outside of the MCU a lot more than, you know, what he does within it. So what I will say about the film is that be patient with it. It is a slow burner. We've had a few of those today. Obviously, the rental is a slow burner. This is definitely a slow burner. You know, I'm glad I didn't sort of turn it off within the first 20 minutes um, because I just couldn't work out what was going on because it does have an incredible payoff. And I think it is a bit of a puzzle. And as soon as those pieces start to kind of come together and you see the bigger picture, I think you'll be very happy with what you see. So, I mean, it's brainy sci-fi. It's got some original ideas and it does, I think, cement uh, Benson and Moorhead as ones to watch going forward. But what did you think? Yeah, I had no idea what to expect from this film, like you. Came out of nowhere, and you're totally right. I, I really kind of relished this. I thought it was such a bold, ambitious, inventive take on this sci-fi genre. But you're right, there are horror elements in there, especially in the first act, which does throw you off a little bit. But what I love the most film is kind of the way it plays with that linear narrative and the, it, the you know like I said about the editing there it has such a distinctive editing style and um, where there's so much um, you know ju ju or juxtaposition used where you have scenes that are at the end of the film that are brought forward to the start of the film and um, so that can be quite difficult at first to get your head around that but I really like that. I like the fact that it kind of experimented with this linear narrative, this start, middle, end, you know, and there are scenes that just kind of get juxtaposed and they're just thrown in there. And you're trying to figure out right, where's that leading to there. Um, and you're right, Anthony Mackie is amazing in this. I could have had just a film on him. I think his storyline alone, a man who's been given this really devastating news, and he's come to terms with that, a man in his 40s who's been single his life and just can't connect to people. That was enough for me. I was like, why isn't he just the lead? Jamie Dornan, I think you're generous. I, I didn't care for him at all in this. I thought he was such an afterthought. I thought he was he's almost like a supporting role. And it annoys me when they have his name and Anthony Mackie's name side by side, because Anthony Mackie is like the, carries the weight of this film, you know? Like he tackles the concepts. I mean, he's the person that puts his life online for this drug. Whereas Jamie Dornan's subplot involving this 
he hasn't got a good relationship with his daughter and he hasn't got a good relationship with his wife. I just felt like I've seen that before and it just didn't click for me. Like I didn't buy that was his daughter. He's too young to have that. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just very different, but I thought he was too young to have a daughter that age and it just didn't work for me. Saying that, I, he's fine here. There's nothing wrong, but... I did think Anthony Mackie like stole every scene he was in and he was the reason I loved the film so much. But like you said, you know, it, it's such an interesting piece of filmmaking. It's so original. It just kind of throws concepts out there uh, and sees, you know, just sees what sticks really. It sees what people take to. I think this is going to be a bit divisive. I don't think this is for everybody. I think this is more of a critic film than an audience film. I can see many audiences watching this and going, I don't understand it. I hate it, you know, and, but I, I think it's a really, really kind of uh, bold, really inventive take on, on the sci-fi genre. I find it glum. I find it dark at times. I find it a bit distressing at times. I find it hard to, hard to watch. Um, it has, like I said, that very gritty kind of tone to it, but really give it a watch. Like you, it's a slow burner, but the payoff is definitely worth it. And I can't wait to see what Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead do next for the next project. So yeah, loved it. That's all we've got time for on today's show. A massive thanks again to uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead for talk, chatting to us. Best of luck with the film. Uh, Synchronic is out January 29th on uh, PVOD for you to rent at home. And as always, you can catch all of our old episodes of the Dan and Joe Film Show. We're on Mixcloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the lot. You can also follow us on social media with the Dan and Joe Film Show on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Film Show. Get in touch. Let us know what you thought of this week's new releases. And we'll see you all very, very soon. Stay safe. Lots of love. Goodbye. Bye-bye.